0: Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Welcome to the Safer Chemicals Podcast. Today we'll talk about one of the most important elements behind making chemicals and their use safer. That is the scientific research that is needed for better understanding the world of chemicals. More specifically, we're going to focus on research that is relevant to effectively implement EU's chemical laws. My name is Päivi Jokiniemi, and my guests in this episode are Wim de Koon and Fleur van Brughäusen from the European Chemicals Agency. Wim is the head of our hazard assessment unit and Fleur works as a regulatory officer coordinating for example ECHA's input to scientific research under the Partnership for the Assessment of Risks from Chemicals. Welcome both and thanks for joining me. Thank you. Great to have you here. If we then go to the topic, to the core, and start with the basics, could you explain why scientific research is so crucial for EU chemicals regulation?
1: Uh, maybe if I start with, uh, with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, scientific research is, uh, is the backbone for, for everything we do. Um, just uh, if, if you don't know what a chemical is about, you don't know what to regulate and how to regulate. And we need scientific research to understand the hazards of a chemical, but also how we, uh, we can predict hazards of chemicals so that we know more easily and more early on uh, what a chemical can can do to human health and to the environment, uh, but also, for example, how it migrates in the human body or, or through the environment so that we can estimate the risks of chemicals and take appropriate action. And we need this, this research to, uh, to help us with this information.
2: All our decisions, as Fleur said indeed, are based on scientific data or models we very often use a simplified model of reality. And that, of course, has uh, a weakness uh, that leads to uncertainty. But it's actually that uncertainty that we also need to know and that we need to take into consideration when we come up with a regulatory action to protect human health and the environment. So this kind of information that we need is actually what we're currently trying to explain in all our decisions the weaknesses, the strengths, and this is basically scientific data and models. This is what it's all about here. And there are indeed many research projects ongoing, but often we notice that the regulatory relevance is not always particularly clear. And uh, while the research by itself is interesting and very academic, um, we're actually trying to point the scientific community to those areas where we believe it will be beneficial to invest new research projects so that in a couple of years' time, we actually could benefit immediately from their results.
0: So you mentioned there this uh, magical pair of words, regulatory relevance. What exactly does that mean? And um, if we look at the big picture, what is ECA doing in this regard?
2: Well, I think we, of course, have been very active in the regulatory and the scientific arena for many years. But recently we've become much more explicit in what type of research we think is needed to make progress. And we actually now have made a first overview of the areas that we believe are worthwhile to dive deeper in so that we can actually implement the chemicals regulation better and provide better protection.
1: Yeah, maybe to to add on to to that, um, regulatory relevance is not only the sort of the information that we need, but also how that information fits to the regulatory frameworks that we have to work with. For example, we have a, a, a legislation uh, uh, to classify hazards of of chemicals, and this regulation sets very strict conditions for the, the, the type of data that we need to, to have to actually justify certain hazards. It's not always so easy to use the science that is out there because it doesn't always translate so easily or so well into sort of the language that we use within regulatory uh, um, frameworks. Um, so what we see as regulatory relevant is is on one hand the, the, the information that we need. Uh, And on the other hand, models developed in research that actually speak to the legislative frameworks that we have to work with.
0: It sounds that this calls for quite a lot of uh, cooperation between the different actors in this field. I was thinking, would you say that there already is a cooperation that is taking place? or could you even give some examples of concrete actions that, for example, Eka has taken to raise the interest of the research community to join join the work?
2: I, I think since the beginning in, in 2007, when um, Eka started here in uh, Helsinki, We actually, from the beginning, started to engage with the scientific communities. We did that in different ways, for example, by uh, yearly participating in scientific conferences. There are scientific societies that we uh, visit their annual conferences. Um, Let's say with ACA staff, we present, we take part in discussions. Um, We've also been involved through research projects that were funded by the uh, European Commission where we usually are sitting in policy boards where we try to give advice. That is also a way we communicate our needs. And also until recently we've organized very regularly scientific workshops ourselves on various topics from soil risk assessment to animal testing, read across, etc. And all these events of course, were very useful and led to active cooperation, Um, it was very much always targeted on a specific question. And until now, we've not taken an active role yet in kind of inspiring, uh, would I say, the research community with ideas. And and that's changing now with um, the uh, PARC project.
0: So PARC is the same project that we mentioned in the beginning. Uh, Fleur, you are... Coordinating work uh, around Park here at ECHA. Um, the Park stands for Partnership for the Assessment of Risks from Chemicals. Maybe you could tell a little bit more about that. Um, it's yeah, it's a huge uh, um,
1: a European project. Uh, I always see it a little bit like a, an umbrella project. It's a It's a uh, it's a partnership under which the the different partners involved develop projects together. Uh, where they see that there could be a regulatory relevance to it to develop certain topics further. It has uh, a 50-50 funding between uh, Europe and, uh, and the member states themselves. And ECHA is, is, uh, sits in the um, uh, prioritization uh, uh, committee to identify uh, projects that should be uh, adopted within uh, within Park, uh, but also to further steer the different projects that uh, that are ongoing uh, within Park, um, it does it together uh, with, for example, EFSA, EEA, uh, and uh, uh, and ANSES. And in total, there is about four hundred million euros going on. So it's it's really huge, and it will last uh, now another six years. Uh, within ECA, we mostly focus on uh, uh, on those projects that may be of most relevance also to our work. Currently there are over 60 projects ongoing within PARC and within those uh, we follow just over 30. Uh, so a bit more than, than half of the projects that are uh, ongoing. And of those with several, we, we have more active discussions uh, to to see how to bring them further. And, and one example was uh, a project going on about bisphenols, uh, where we were in dialogue uh, and are still in dialogue with the researchers to identify substances that, uh, that could be good for further uh, testing. And then within... We have many colleagues uh, supporting this work and my role is to uh, to coordinate this uh, this work and to make sure that everybody is involved and contributes uh, at the right moment.
0: There has now recently been published a report called Key Areas of Regulatory Challenge. This identifies needs for more scientific research. Could we maybe take a little bit closer look to those different areas? So walk through what are these areas where research is needed?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can start. It's quite an extensive uh, document. So we'll stay at a pretty high level mm-hmm. here, but give some uh, some examples. So indeed, um, these key areas are actually a, a summary and a prioritized list of areas where we believe there would really be A need for further research and the first area is uh, you could summarize that under a a flag provide better protection against the most harmful chemicals and because this is linked to the european commission chemical strategy for sustainability uh, that actually focused on adverse effect of chemicals that are not so much yet understood or investigated right and we have Uh, flagged three areas of particular interest, that is the neurotoxicity of chemicals, the immunotoxicity of chemicals, and the endocrine disruptive properties of chemicals. Those areas, let's say, have worrying effects, those chemicals, if they have these effects, they they could have adverse impact for long lasting time. And the current methods and data are rather insufficient to have, let's say, proper protection uh, established, So we believe it's, there's an urgent need for investing in method development and data generation.
0: So protection both for human health and also animals.
2: Exactly. Especially the area of endocrine disruption covered both effects on human health, uh, human reproduction for example, as well as environmental effects. And Environment. Then I will take
1: the, the second chapter which is about uh, addressing chemical pollution in the natural natural environment, uh, which is all about behavior of chemicals in the environment and uh, effects on uh, environmental organisms. And one of the topics that we wanted to highlight there is um, everything that has to do about the accumulation of substances in the food chain and how to better understand the, the mechanisms through which that is uh, uh, taking place. And then especially for substances for which it's quite, quite difficult to To measure because of the test methods, for example, that we have, um, and the understanding uh, we have about uh, um, different uh, uh, animals. For example, we know a lot about the earthworm, but but not so much about the bioaccumulation in in animals that breathe through lungs, for example, air breathing organisms. Um, so that's something that uh, that we highlight uh, there. One also important area is the uh, Exposure of humans via the environment, so a secondary uh, route, not directly through food, for example, but via air exposure or water exposure. And then a third is uh, uh, actually related to the activities um, of ACCA on biocidal uh, products, uh, which is the effects on biocidal active substances on uh, on bees and uh, non-bee pollinators
2: yeah and there's a, a third topic where we clearly want to point the attention to further shifting away from animal testing um, this is dear to our heart here in the agency so since our start we've actually actively worked always to minimize um, animal testing and our possible shift away from it of course but the challenge is that the regulatory system um, of course, has stringent rules and has specific requirements. And if you replace, let's say, an animal test with a non-animal version, of course, you need to provide at least the same level of protection, right? And that's the biggest challenge. Now, we see a lot of uh, benefit and potential in the so-called NAMS, new approach methods. It's like a collection of in vitro test tube methods uh, in silico computational models um, high screening methods uh, the so-called omics where you measure gene expression protein um, translation etc in in, or metabolomics where you measure a a suite of metabolites as a response to um, a toxic stress and we believe that if you invest and combine these methods with Uh, traditional methods, you could even potentially um, uh, improve or replace these traditional methods. So, the report has a a list of further ideas where to use these NAMs to further push the barriers of our knowledge and improve our, our knowledge on, let's say, toxicology and ecotoxicology and again to come to better protection in the end, right?
1: Very good. And then maybe to close the the, the line here in the fourth uh, chapter, which is on approved availability on chemical data, uh, we have listed there two topics uh, for now, because I think you can add many, many more, but at least the, the topic on on polymers and on nanomaterials stood out for us. Here polymers because of the uh, uh, upcoming revision and the expectation that polymers will uh, uh, will be part of this. you can see polymers as uh, as highly variable substances that uh, that differ strongly in molecular mass and that has uh, strong consequences for the way that exposure takes place both to the environment but also to uh, to humans, which makes it uh, uh, very difficult to to interpret but also to, to, to measure how these substances behave. And uh, for polymers, we actually have a very broad need to, uh, to better understand how we should interpret the polymers' bioavailability, for example, the degradation under environmental conditions, uh, but also uh, how we should identify relevance for a human health hazard assessment and environmental hazard assessment. And then for nanomaterials, uh, there's still um, well there has been a lot of research already on on nanomaterials uh, already much more uh, has become known over the last years but especially also the the long range transport and the the uptake and toxicity for humans and environment remains uh, a difficult uh, uh, area so uh, also there we have identified few topics that should be yeah that we would like you to uh, to have a further look at
0: Very comprehensive uh, overview there. Thank you very much. Um, I was thinking maybe we could still dig a little bit deeper on a few of these areas. So if you can highlight some examples where you think that more focus is needed in research. For example, if we start with now providing protection against most harmful chemicals and also addressing the chemical pollution in the natural environment, where do you wish to see even more efforts? Put in the future.
2: Um, I think we can start with the neurotoxicity uh, effects, right? Uh, because one of the major challenges currently is that we actually don't have a, a full, comprehensive grip on potential effects, neurotoxic effects, and these neurotoxic effects can be on the developmental life stages or on the ad- adult life stage, right? So the traditional animal test methods are okay, but they give uh, insufficient insight into the full range of motion that these neurotoxic effects can interfere with biological system. Because in a way the the neurological system is complex, involves a lot of tissues, pathways, and to get let's say in a one fit for all overview in that with a test system on what a chemical can do is currently not available so what we actually um, have provided is a couple of examples of methods development for example adverse outcome pathways it's uh, like a, a model like a roadmap that you develop that you can picture as a brick, uh, a list of domino bricks, that you want to actually know the first domino brick that falls, the molecular key initiating event that makes other domino bricks fall until ultimately you see the visual effect on the animal. And if we can develop these roadmaps, we can better understand and even model and predict the effects of chemicals. So that's basically for neurotoxicity something we think is worthwhile looking into. In the same way, for immunotoxicity, it's a bit similar. Um, The immune system is, again, built upon, let's say, by a complex network of cells, signal molecules, basically aimed to defend the body against uh, pathogens, and we know there are immunotoxic effects of chemicals. Again, they can interfere at multiple points, again, making it difficult with one test system to screen all potential adverse effects and again also here we point to the nams uh, because they're so powerful they can basically provide almost a 360 view of how a chemical interferes with the system and by looking and using these methods to investigate the immune toxic effects of chemicals we believe we can have a, a better comprehensive insight how chemicals interfere I'm repeating myself, endocrine disruption, <laughs> complex system, um, multiple glands, hormones. Basically, the, the complexity there is potentially even bigger because, again, we talk about a, a very delicate system that regulates, let's say, the, the metabolism of, of a human being. But also, I mean, any, uh, let's say, life form that you can... Uh, see in the environment also has an an endocrine system for example for the invertebrates there's a a huge lack of methods to test for the potential effects of endocrine disruptors Um, but if you keep it with the human body for example we're seeing that there is a need Um, for more studying the potential effects uh, of chemicals on the metabolic diseases. There are signals that we see from literature that chemicals may interfere with uh, glucose signaling, for example, insulin sensitivity, um, obesitas, may have a, a component of chemical exposure. So also there, we believe that investing in methods that give a full insight in how interference happens with all these endocrine systems. Would actually help us forward.
0: Very, very interesting, Fleur, What about the chemical pollution side?
1: Yeah, and there maybe I'll I'll focus a little bit on on the bees and and, and other type of insects that uh, that help pollination of uh, of plants and and crops. Um, because uh, uh, well, there's this decline globally uh, of these little uh, animals. And at least it's uh, suspected that chemicals play a significant role in this uh, decline. Uh, we don't know really uh, what are the, the most sensitive targets to, uh, to look at. But uh, the commission mandated uh, ECHA to, uh, to develop a methodology and uh, further guidance to, to risk assess biocides to try and help preventing that these uh, insects. Uh, continue uh, uh, to decline. But before we can do that, we need to better understand which are the, the most sensitive species and which effects may be uh, most sensitive to, to look at, but also which uh, uh, may be relevant routes of exposure. And for all these things, we would uh, need further research to uh, to support us in this work.
0: Then we already had... Um A little bit of a discussion about the shift away from animal testing and the importance that it has at the moment. What would you say is needed, particularly now from the research community, to make progress in this area?
2: Yeah, I think the the report actually gives a good framework to understand how the legislative system works right and and that is maybe seen as a straitjacket, but it is the reality the traditional testing uh, shows adversity and that means toxic effects ecotoxic effects that you clearly see are adverse on the growth survival um, of of animals now if you want to move away from these systems we we believe you need to work stepwise and we don't breach a revolution. We give a couple of examples to go for an evolution towards a gradual shift away from animal testing. We already have mechanisms in place in the regulation to move away from animal testing. And one of the methods that is most frequently used is called read-across, where you actually translate almost the knowledge of one chemical to another one, as long as they are structurally similar. It's often used to what we call fill data gaps from one substance to another. And we've given an example again of the use of these NAMs to strengthen the read-across. Because often when we receive read-across statements from registrants under reach, they're not so strongly built. And we believe that if these NAM statements would be complemented with this information, for example, from these in vitro and silico screening models, we, we would receive much more detailed mechanistic information that would help us to understand how similar or how different these substances work and act on a biological system. That would provide, let's say, almost a supercharged read across because you complement it with NAM data and not just like hypothetical statements. So by adding these layers of information, we believe we could receive better predictions and get more streamlined and efficient safety assessments in the end the report has examples on replacing long-term fish testing um, improving let's say the carcinogenicity testing uh, genotoxicity testing usually using this mechanistic information to complement better understand how chemicals act so we believe if we better understand how they work we could also set safety threshold with a more confident, um, in a confident manner. Uh,
0: Then finally, I'm interested in knowing when do you expect that new scientific data will become available for these different areas that we've been now discussing? And how do you see in a more concrete way that this data would be contributing to the safe use of chemicals?
1: A lot of this research will only deliver results in in five years' time, seven years' time. On the other hand, there is the uh, concrete information on uh, substances or groups of substances where we are currently already in the process of taking regulatory action or where there are first intentions to start regulatory actions in a few years' time, uh, where we would be really helped. Uh, with, for example, additional information on their presence in the environment, on their presence in, in humans, uh, so a lot of monitoring data, or further information on specific uh, uh, hazard patterns, for example, where we could be uh, much helped. On the other hand, there's also methodologies that, that may be close to substituting uh, part of the in vivo test that we are using now which may need uh, some further validation studies after which we we may start using that and uh, uh, this may look at uh, a a bit shorter timeline so maybe in four years, five years time we could uh, uh, start having first results uh, there but maybe even Mm -hmm. more. Up to date on those
2: no i think it's a it's a a very good summary i think if you're a phd student if you're a master student phd student postdoc have a look at the document because it has a wealth of ideas information and um we love to be uh let's say uh, listen to you uh explain further if things are unclear so contact us via our website we're happy to also set up more dedicated webinars because we believe it's important that um, you understand how we work and uh, by this dialogue we can come to understanding let's say get uh, a, a better understanding w- where the problems are and if you understand that you can then better tailor your research project and maybe one more detail it's um, The report is full of ideas and suggestions. It doesn't mean that currently we are unable to deal with these topics, right? We implement the law. We know how to deal with the regulatory issues for the moment. It's just a list of ideas where more research would be helpful and beneficial for the future.
0: It really sounds like there are a lot of opportunities there to work together and really contribute to safer chemicals in Europe in the future. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you Viman Fleur for your insights into this work. We will surely be following this topic also in the future. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in. And if you are interested in finding out more, all this information is available on our website. We will Include some links in the episode description so it's easier to find. You'll find the website that we've been talking about, also the report that has been core of this discussion. And of course, if you want to find more episodes of the Safer Chemicals podcast, they are all on our website at eka.europa.eu forward slash podcasts. Thanks for today. Bye bye.
2: Pleasure. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound Science on Harmful
2: Chemicals.